So, um, <laughs> let's look at Mark chapter 14. Ready to try this? And then we're going to have some communion. And uh, this fits into communion. It's the communion passage. Let's read it together. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the Lord were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Well, it's going to happen during the festival anyway. It's going to happen during Passover. All of these religious muckety-mucks living in luxury condominiums are not going to be able to stop the plan of God. And the plan of God is that Jesus is going to die during the Passover because he is the Passover. So one of the amazing things about the scripture, one of the amazing things about God, you know, Jesus is going to die in the Passover. We'll see why in just a moment. These guys are going to try to stop it. They want to kill him, but not on the Passover, not during the Passover feast. That's when it's going to happen. So this passage moves quickly towards the closing events of the earthly ministry of Jesus and moving towards the cross. It tells us now there's just a couple of days. Uh, so chapter 14 is divided into two days, actually, in the last um, week in life of ministry, the, the last week of the life and ministry of Jesus. It's divided uh, into two days. And so now we're looking at the first day. It's two days away. And here's what Jesus is going to do. Verse 3. While Jesus was at Bethany, outside of the city of Jerusalem, reclining at the table in the house of Simon the leper. So um, Simon's not a leper anymore, or Jesus would not have been in the house with him, as would everyone else not be in the house with him. So Simon the leper is probably the guy who got healed by Jesus, and he's going to be known as that designation probably forever. Simon the leper. Healed by Jesus. And now that he's been healed by Jesus, he's serving Jesus. He's opening up his house, and Jesus is there, and other people are there, and Jesus is reclining. So what happens when the leper gets healed? What happens when God's healing works in our lives? We, be, we serve him. He serves us, and then we serve him for the rest of our life. So he opens up his home, Simon the leper, and there was a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Um, one of the reasons people would have alabaster jars with very expensive perfume is that this is the way you would save up your resources. You don't have 401ks, you don't have safety deposit boxes, you don't have stocks and bonds, you don't have banks, you don't have any of those things. So you would often take those things which were valuable and you would keep them in, their, in your house somewhere. Sometimes you would take those things, you couldn't do it with perfume, but you would take it with other things and you would bury them. And Jesus talks about that in some of these parables. The guy was digging in a field and he found great fortune in there. Why did he find great fortune? Because somebody had buried their fortune in there so that thieves couldn't come in and steal. And either they died or passed on or forgot where it was, but, but you would bury it in the ground. So this woman has all of this wealth sort of stored up in this jar, very expensive, made of pure nard, expensive, worthwhile. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present, 
Now keep in mind, we're going to come back to this thing about Jesus reclining at the table. Put a, put a ticker on that one. Jesus reclining at the table. Some of those present were indignant to one another. They said, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. So I don't know what your yearly wages are, but that's quite an expensive bottle of perfume. Quite a, quite a saving sitting there in the house somewhere. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. I, I, I read this particular passage, and it sort of cracks me up. Oh, by the way, I'm not freaking out. I, I quit doing anxiety. Right? Like, I gave it up for Lent a long time ago. <laughs> and I don't ever want to go back to it. I don't want to do anxiety. Why would get anxious? Why get anxious? Jesus said, don't be anxious for anything. But this passage here, I think it's sort of humorous because they're rebuking the lady for the way that she spends her money. They're saying, you have all of this money and you're spending it foolishly. You're, you're wasting it. You, sh- you should have... You should have taken that money and given it to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Well, this is, is this a word? This is so peopleish. Here's people telling somebody else what they should be doing with their money. They don't like what they have. They don't like how they're using it. So they rebuke them for what they're doing with their money. Now, Jesus, I think, is going to have a little sideways remark about that in just a moment here. And uh, Jesus said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you. So what's Jesus saying in response to them saying, you should have used your money to do something like that. I think Jesus is saying, what are you doing with your money? You always have the poor with you. What are you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? He said, the poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, like right now if you want to. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. Wow, circle that one. So what do we do in our service to the Lord? You do what you can. You do what you could. You do what you can with what you have. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my burial. Truly, I tell you, when Jesus says truly, I tell you, for sure I'm telling you, Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, that which she has done will be told in memory of her. Well, I'd say that that's a fulfilled prophecy. Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, what this lady did is going to be told. Now, Mark is probably the first gospel that was written. There's four gospels. Mark is probably the first one. And they say some of the other gospel writers, maybe Matthew used some of his material and used his outline. And and Luke certainly did because Luke told us he researched everything and, and wrote his gospel. And so this gospel, wherever it goes, the story of this lady would be told. In the gospel in the, the early days, in the opening days of the gospel, when it began to spread around, it was in Jerusalem and Judea and in the land of Israel and then moving out somewhat into Asia Minor and then eventually Europe and northern Africa and then, and then all the continents. But it has, this story has always gone with it, wherever it goes. It goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, to a little obscure hill in Uncasville. It's hard to, it's hard to have the name Uncasville, especially when you're ordering stuff. 
like all the last couple of weeks we've been trying to order sound stuff and like they're all like Ancacusville? Like what is that? And, and I tell them that's an Indian chief's name. His name is Uncas. It's Uncasville. Uncasville. So even in Uncasville, this story of what this woman did is still traveling and still being known and still an example to us. And we're going to deconstruct the example a little bit and see how much good stuff is actually in here. He, he said it will be done in memory of her. In memory of her. We're going to be talking about her, memorializing her. Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this, and they promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Watched for an opportunity to hand him over. One of the things that's going on here is worship. Worship. What is worship? Is worship this little segment of time that we do before the service, uh, before the teaching part of the service and the announcements and the prayer and the testimonies? Or is worship our life? I was invited to teach in Recife, Brazil at a Youth with a Mission base in uh, Recife. And they, I was leading worship at the time. I was a pastor and leading worship at the time. And I thought that he wanted me to come down and work with worship leaders. And I had told him that. I'm glad that I told him because that's what I was prepared to do. He said, no. He said, I want to talk about the life of the worshiper. What does it mean to be a lifetime worshiper? So what does worship mean? And here we find an act of worship, but there's no music involved. There's no broken sound systems involved. There's no lyrics involved, but there's worship. There's individual personal worship that this lady is doing. And then in a moment, and we have some of these symbols right over here, we're going to look at some symbols of worship. What are some of the symbols of worship that the Christian church has? Well, um... How about a cross? Oh, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a symbol of Christianity, but it's, it's not necessarily a symbol of the Christian church in worship. It's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say wear a cross and put crosses in certain places. But there are a few symbols that the Bible encourages us to do in that the church, wherever it has been, wherever it goes, has a couple of these symbols, and one of them is baptism, which we're doing a baptism tonight at Recovery Church. Also, John Powell, pastor of Recovery Church, um, he's actually preaching in New London um, this morning at Huntington Street Baptist Church. But, uh, but tonight they'll be doing a baptism there. <clears throat> Two weeks we'll be doing a baptism here, and, and we do them throughout the year here. And we also do what's called communion at the Lord's table. And we're going to do that today. So there's two symbols of the church, and, and those symbols are found here. Individual worship, we'll find baptism in two weeks, and then we'll find communion in just a few moments. So there's also corporate worship in unity. Uh, worship has a lot of definitions, and people are always trying to define what is worship, what does it mean, what is it. Somebody summed it up by saying that worship can best be defined as worth-ship. Worth-ship. He is worth it. He is worth my all. So what is worship? It's certainly coming together in singing. It's certainly coming together in fellowshipping. It's certainly coming together around the Word. We're here for one reason, <clears throat> one reason only, and that's for the Word, although some of us came for the food. So, but uh, for most of us here, we're here for the food and the Word, right? And the fellowship and everything that's there. But we're worship. He's worth it. And individually, it means 
um, for me to give him my life, to give him my money, to give him my passion, to give him my emotion, to give him my mind, to give him my heart, to give him my all. He is worth it. And then um, concerning the symbols of worship, um, these acts, these visuals that take time to work out and understand. Well, in this particular thing that we're going to look at in a moment, what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, there's the bread and there's the cup. The bread and the cup. We'll look at that in just a moment. And so corporately worship, as we're doing here, corporately, that means gathering together. Gathering together where the focus and the emphasis is God. And the idea of a hymn is celebrating God. So we started this morning, you don't need a pipe organ to do a hymn. You don't need a guitar to do a hymn. You don't need an eight-piece band and four vocalists to do a hymn. You can just sing a hymn. In fact, in a moment, we're going to see Jesus singing a hymn. And so corporately, it involves preparing, it involves gathering, it involves teaching, it involves reading, it involves the song. So the first thing you see here is individual worship. And that's seen in this woman with this alabaster jar. Um, she is found worshiping Jesus. But um, let's look at the perfume, let's look at the act, and let's look at a reward. The first thing about the perfume is that she gives something that's precious to her. If, in fact, it's true that that is valuable to her, that maybe it's part of her retirement or part of her nest egg or her emergency fund or her, her fund that she needs to live, she's giving that which is most precious to her. Because in order to earn money, which can buy you perfume, which can buy you all of these things, which can buy you commodities, all these other things, in order to get that, you trade your life. This is how giving works. We take our lives, we take the best part of our life, and we trade it for money. We trade it for paper. This lady at least traded it for perfume. We trade it for paper. And that paper, we said a few weeks ago, if you look on that paper, that paper doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to the United States government. So they're even just lending you the paper. But the paper represents that you do, in fact, have a dollar or five dollars or twenty dollars. But you take your life and you trade your life for money. So when you, ta you take that money and convert it into perfume or gold or whatever you convert it into, it's your life. You've invested your life in it. So when I trade my life for money and, give, and I tell God I'm going to give you my life, if I'm going to give you my life, I'm going to give you my money because I've already given my life. I've given the best part of my life already. So this woman is giving everything. She's giving that which is most precious to her. And it would have been um, the amount maybe of a dowry. So maybe it was from that. Maybe it was from her family. Maybe her family provided this for her when she got married. But for this lady, love never calculates. She's just giving it all. Love never asks, how little can I give? But love goes beyond the limits. And this is worship beyond the limits. This was a gift way beyond what she could afford. <clears throat> but she's giving it. She's giving it. And we're talking about it now. And Jesus said it would be a memorial unto her. And so um, th th this shows that um, you've also got to make the most of the opportunities you have. Jesus said she did what she could. If she would have hesitated and said, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe I should think this through. Like maybe, maybe tomorrow 
But Jesus isn't going to be in Simon the leper's house tomorrow. Jesus may never be in this place again. You may never be in this place again. This moment may never cross again. This woman did what she could do with the opportunity that she had and her timing was spot on. She did the right thing at the right time. And the scripture tells us that today is the day of worship. What else can you say about this act of worship? The first thing is this, is that Jesus accepts her worship, but the disciples criticize it. Isn't that amazing? Jesus accepts it, the disciples criticize it. Extravagant worship is often criticized. You worship God in extravagance, and you'll be criticized. <clears throat> People will ask you, you gave how much money? You give... You give money, you do that? You give money to God like that? You give, all, you give that much time to Him? What are you, a fanatic? Are you a fanatic? Listen, um, the Celtics are playing the Golden State Warriors. There's some fanatics out there right now. <laughs> you know, is it okay to be a fanatic? Sure, absolutely. I think they're playing tonight, right? People will be going nuts tonight. People will be trying to get home to make sure that they can watch it and, and yelling, in, yelling in front of their screens. But should you, should you give an hour to Jesus, you know, and once, once a week, people will be like, why do, you, why do you do that on such a nice day? The second thing is that John's Gospel tells us why why Judas criticized. Somebody shout out, why did Judas criticize? Judas criticized because he was a thief. He was a thief. He saw the money and he wanted, he wanted a little piece. Judas was probably skimming all of the money that came in for that ministry. Jesus knows it. Jesus knows it. Jesus knows all about Judas. He knows everything that's going on. But here's the shame in that is that Judas is criticizing it because he has ulterior motives, but all of the other disciples join in with Judas. We don't want to do that. You want to be careful about criticism. It's so easy to join into criticism. It's so easy to join into judgment. Do you find yourself doing that? You, you, the proverb says you're like drawn to it, like a, like a moth to the flame. You're just drawn to judgment, just drawn to criticism. And, and somebody there is judging, somebody is criticizing. Whoa, you know, let me get a little piece of that action. But with, here's, here's how it works with Christian people, though. Christian people are very savvy in the way that they criticize and the way that they judge. They say, would you join me in prayer as I pray for her and, and just lay out, lay out this whole thing. Oh, come on. Jesus sees it. Jesus knows. And so be careful. Psalm 1 says, don't stand in the counsel of the ungodly. Here's the other thing about this lady's worship, and it's worship, is that Judas calls it a waste, but Jesus calls it a beautiful thing. Judas and the rest of the disciples are like, what a waste. And Jesus is like, wow, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Worship is never wasted. It's what we were created for. Jesus says to, to the disciples, why are you bothering her? Why are you bothering her? That word in the Greek implies pain. And, and it implies the, the kind of pain that reduces your strength and brings you down. Do you know how that is? When somebody criticizes you or says something to you, it just, it, you just feel it. And, and with it goes a, an energy drain. Your energy is just gone. 
You know, why are you throwing water on that lady's fire? Why are you discouraging her? Be careful about discouraging people. The pastor who sent me out, Guy Fons, um, I was a younger Christian when, when he had sent us out. I'm, sur- I'm surprised to this day he sent us out to go plant a church. He was, he was, he was a pretty wise man, sent out a lot of church planters. And uh, I was kind of at that stage where, you know, I, I, I like to criticize. I like to criticize what's going on. And Guy, he couldn't stand that. He just couldn't stand it. And, and one day I was saying something, and he looked at me, and he said, Joe. I said, what? And he said, what do you got, the gift of discouragement? I'll never forget that. <laughs> the gift of discouragement. And I, I thought, yeah, I think that I do, and the force is strong. I need to stop this. Why are you bothering her? You know, how would we say this today? We'd say, you know, why are you being such a pain? You know, let her go. This also shows that, that money for this lady, we don't talk a lot about money around here, but when we do, might as well just get into it, right? So the, the money that this woman is spending on worship is not wasted money. Although Judas says it is, it's not. And then worship in this context and in every context, it comes from, comes from brokenness, really. It says that she takes this, she breaks the jar. She breaks it. Now, in the ancient world, you don't want to go breaking jars, because jars are hard to come by, and people work hard for jars, and you know they're not easy to they're not easy to find and to pick up. I mean, it's a lot of a lot of work to get a jar. It's not like some of our houses, you know, which glasses are we using today? I mean, you use you have your jars, and your jars are your jars, and this is an alabaster jar, a valuable jar, and she breaks it and pours it over Jesus, and she understands that. That worship is coming from her own brokenness. The jar had to be broken. She got it. And if we're going to worship, Jesus will come and break our lives. He'll break our lives open. What we were talking about just a few moments ago, transparency before God. You know, making, making our broken lives, revealing them to him. And then worshiping him out of those broken lives. Well, why oil um, and perfume? She takes this perfume and she pours it over him. She understood better than the disciples that Jesus needed to die. Again, this is the last life in, in the, the, the last week in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And he'd been telling his disciples that we're going to Jerusalem. And we, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be turned over to the Gentiles by the religious leaders. And they're going to be crucified and died and rise again on the third day. They just didn't get it. But this lady gets it. And Jesus said, you know, she did this and she poured it over me, preparing me for my burial. She understood better than the disciples. And, and she's down at his feet. She's down at his feet. There's a real lesson here. Because when you are down at the feet of Jesus, you see things that other people don't see. You get down at those feet and it's a different viewpoint altogether. You get down at those feet and you're going to get all kinds of insight that you, you can't get any other place but down there at the feet of Jesus. Now, here's a caution with this, is that um, this is individual worship. It's not to be repeated. It's not a pattern. It's not something where Jesus said, you know, what she did was really cool, like people should do this all over for the rest of time. It's what she did. And she did it in her space and her time. So it's individual worship. It's her life, 
her worship, her love, her demonstration of love towards Jesus. It's an example, not a model. You know, David before the ark is an example. You know, spontaneous reaction. It could never be duplicated again, not by David or anybody else. You know, that moment in time came and that moment in time left. So, so you also have the fruit and the reward of worship. And the first thing is that, that this individual worship that she's doing here actually happens in his company. His company. And it gets his approval and, and he enjoys it. We used to tell worship leaders, maybe we need to start telling them again, that, that when you're leading worship, you're leading for an audience of one. For an audience of one. I have never settled in with, with the way that visually worship is done in the 20th and 21st century, where, where we have bands up front or leaders up front, and then people this way, and then it's like they're performing for the people. No, there's no performance for the people. We are performing before God, and we're worshiping God, and we're giving this to Jesus, and I hope that Jesus enjoys it. I hope that Jesus enjoyed our worship today because that's who we're singing to and that's who we're singing about. And he should be the one who enjoys it. I don't, do you hear that buzz? I don't think Jesus cares. I think he cares. And so there's an audience of one. I've always thought that if we're going to do worship with a band or with a worship leader, that, that we should just turn this way. We should just, in this context, we should turn towards the woods. But then that would be ridiculous. You'd have to look at people like that. Um, in, in some church architecture, kind of interesting architecture, the way that people have built things, they built, thing, they built it for a reason. And a lot of liturgical churches that have organs, you know where the organs are? The organs are in the back of all the people. And if they have a singer, you know where the singer is? The singer is in the back of all the people. You don't even see the singer. You don't even see the musicians. You don't even see those who are doing it. We're performing for an audience of one. And in the audience of one, are we getting his approval or not? Are we getting his enjoyment or not? Jesus remembers the worship. He remembers this woman's worship. He said we'd always talk about what this woman had done. And here we are talking about it again. And then her hair, her hair takes on the fragrance of Jesus' feet. How cool is that? Her hair taking on the fragrance of Jesus' feet. When you're worshiping the Lord, you take on His fragrance. And the whole house is filled with the fragrance and essence of worship with this woman. The smell, the smell of worship. Unbelievable. And so this woman, you know, we could go on and on about this woman, but then it says Judas went out and he tried to find a way to, uh, to betray Jesus. So verse 12, we'll do this relatively quick. And... Um, you might want to start heading over to that table. Some of these young girls earlier set up the, all of that communion on that table for you to, um, to take. So um, you might want to... ...or talking here. So verse 12. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, this means the next day. On the next day, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparation and prepare that for you? And here's what Jesus said. So he sent two of his disciples and he told them, go into the city 
and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house that he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large room upstairs, furnished, ready, make preparations for us there. So who did all the front work? Who did all the early work? It was Jesus. Seems like Jesus is setting up this room. I like the idea that Jesus is the one that makes the arrangements for the room. You remember on Mother's Day we did, if you were here on Mother's Day, if not, go back and listen to the Mother's Day thing. We talked about the Proverbs 31 woman, what she's like, the Proverbs 31 uh, wife. What is, what is she like? And people have these stereotypes of what that Proverbs woman would, would be like, that, you know, she's always, uh, <clears throat> always at home cleaning cleaning the bathroom and cleaning up after the kids. And, and, and when you look at this proverb, what she's like, this lady is a landowner. She uh, makes lots of money. She's a real estate lady. She takes care of the kids. She takes care of her house. Her husband has a good reputation. Um, just, you know, all of these stereotypes just sort of go out the window. And, and stereotypes between, you know, who's supposed to do what, when, you know, and who's, you know, whose job is that, whose role is that. Well, I like that Jesus is the one that goes and makes preparation for this room. He goes and makes the hospitality preparations. Jesus, do you know, um, after Jesus is risen from the dead, he's, he meets his disciples by the water. And you know what he's doing? He's cooking. He's cooking for him. Jesus is cooking. Um, Esau, he, he, he cooked. And so here Jesus, I like, the, I like that Jesus cooks. I like that Jesus makes preparations. I like that Jesus does all of those things. Thank you very much, Dexter. I appreciate that. Thank you. Don't leave me out. I appreciate that. So they go there, and it says, The disciples left and went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Right. Just the way that Jesus said it would be, that's how it's going to be. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. Watch this, verse 18. While they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now I find this fascinating. If you're a Bible student and you want to try to learn how to interpret the Bible and how to make sense out of the Bible and what's going on there, you always want to look for things that are repeated. Sometimes Jesus repeats himself because he says, this is important. So verily I say unto you, this is important. I want you to hear this one. So something that's been repeated in chapter 14, chapter 14, 1 through, 1 through 11, that's one day, one day, a couple of days before the death of Jesus, right during the Passover time. Now we're on another day, and the same thing is repeated. What's repeated? That he was reclining at the table eating. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus knows that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to die. He's going to go on the cross. He knows that. He knows that death is imminent for him. His disciples aren't getting it yet. This lady gets it, but he doesn't get it. So knowing that your life and ministry are coming to an end within the next couple of days, what would you be doing? And here's the question for us when we take communion and when we, when we go through the rest of this chapter, is if this were the last night of the world, what would I be doing? 
If I knew this was the last night of the world, what would I be doing? If I knew this was the last night of my life, what would I be doing? Well, Jesus gives us some clues. The last couple of days before he's going to die, he knows he's going to die. What's he doing? He's reclining at a table eating. Reclining at a table eating. With who? With people that he knows. People that he loves. People that he's friendly with. People that have been part of his life, part of his ministry. Simon the leper. What would he be doing? What would I be doing? Eating with friends? Reclining? Or would I be filled with anxiety? Would I be, would I be freaking out? You see, Jesus, if you read John's gospel and you, you find the continuity where it's, it gets into his last words, you have in red, if you have a red letter Bible that has all of the words of Jesus in red, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, all the words of Jesus. And it's, it's his final teaching and it's his final prayer. And then he finishes. And when he gets on the cross, he says, it's finished. But he ended his earthly ministry with teaching his disciples. A couple of days before, he got in arguments with the Pharisees. They're arguing with him, arguing with him. He ends it by teaching his disciples, and then it ends. And what does he do after his teaching ministry ends? What does he do after all of that part of his life and ministry is over? He goes and hangs out with friends. He reclines at the table. Reclines. That's a position of comfort. You're in a comfortable position. They didn't have tables like we have that are the height of these picnic tables and seats. They had low tables, and so they would be on the floor. And so you probably would be on your elbow. And if you get tired of being on your elbow, if you had a good friend, you just lean on your friend. Lean on the person next to you. And so Jesus, in his two last days, he's reclining at the table with friends, and he's eating. So let's read on. Truly I say unto you, he said, one will betray me, one who's eating with me. And they were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. Well, Judas had already planned it out. And he said, it's one of the twelve, one of you who dips bread into the bowl with me. Now, we used to do communion like this a lot, particularly pre-COVID. Sometimes we would have um, bowls with the cup there and bread, and people could come up, and we would have the band playing or somebody singing and you come up and you take the bread and you dip it in the cup and you, and you take the communion, you take the Lord's table. Being a picture of this, dipping the bread in the cup with me. Well, you know, it's not COVID friendly, so, you know, we don't do that. Now we have the, now we have the COVID un, units. But, uh, but the way that they did it, it's one of you who dips into the bread, the bread in the bowl with me. And he said, the Son of Man will go um, just as was written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It'd be better for him if he were not born. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, that word is Eucharist. Jesus gives thanks. If you grew up in a liturgical church, you probably heard that word Eucharist. And you probably thought it was the elements. You probably thought it was the bread or the, or the cup. No, it means the giving of thanks. Jesus gave thanks. And he broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. So they were drinking from a common cup, and again, it's not COVID-friendly, so we won't do that. We'll use individual units. But he said that this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say unto you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God with you. With you. 
And so Jesus is talking about a time where we're going to be reunited with him at what's known as the marriage supper of the Lamb, the banquet. For these guys, he's preparing something for us. I like that Jesus is doing that. It, I like that he's preparing a place for us. He's making a place for us. Jesus was a carpenter. Carpenter in the ancient Middle East. He probably was a stone worker uh, known as a carpenter. And Jesus made the heavens and the earth, it says, in seven days. Imagine that was six days, really. So he, ma he makes the earth, creates it all in that short little span. And for 2,000 years, he's been going to prepare a place for you and for me. I can't imagine what that's like. He's preparing it for you and for me. If he could do all of this in less than a week, what could he do in 2,000 years for us? And then we're going to have this great banquet. How long will that banquet be? What will it be like? He said, but I'll do it. I'll drink it again with you. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So, um, first of all, why Passover? Why Passover? The background of Passover, uh, there are thousands of holidays around the world. Thousands of them. But in the scripture, there's seven that God institutes. Seven holidays. And a holiday is a holy day. You know, around Christmas time, people are like, oh, they're saying, say, ho say holiday. Don't, you know, don't say Merry Christmas. Say, well, well, holiday means holy day. It's a day that's set apart. We just had a holiday, a holy day. The word holy means set apart. What was the holy day, the holiday that we just set apart? It was Memorial Day. We set it apart for who? For those who we remember who gave their lives for the freedom that we have and that we experience. And uh, somebody said, uh, your day on the beach was brought by their day on the beach when they stormed the beach and gave their lives so that we might have freedom. So we celebrated that holiday, that holy day. We have another one coming up, the 4th of July. It's a holiday, a holy day. We're going to set apart that day to remember the founding of our nation. So um, God had seven of them in the Bible, and neither one was Memorial Day or Fourth of July. Those are our national holidays. And these are referred to as the feasts of the Lord, and they were to be times to celebrate as a feast, celebrate what the Lord has done. Thirty-five centuries, three and a half millennia ago, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And it says that they cried out to God because of their their hard labor and their difficult lives. And it said that God heard and God responded and God delivered. And God will still hear as we cry out, as Josh did, in our bondage, in our lives, in our addiction, in our difficulty, in our slavery. When we cry out to God, He delivers. And so the way that He was going to deliver them was He said, well, you just need to do something. It's pretty simple. You just need to take a lamb, an innocent lamb, that's done nothing wrong, and you need to slay that lamb, and you need to apply the blood of that lamb on your door. And when the angel of death, when the angel of judgment comes by, when it sees the blood on your door, he will pass over you. Well, this is what Jesus did for us. He took his blood and he applied it to us. But he was talking about this cup here, the blood of the covenant. He applies his blood to us. And, and when the angel of death, when the angel of judgment comes by, or when the person of judgment comes by, all that's there is the blood of Jesus. 
Now the angel, as the angel of judgment is coming through Egypt and seeing that blood on the door, he's not stopping and knocking on the door. I see some blood, but are there some people that do like bad things behind here? No, he just sees the blood. And because of the blood, he passes over. Not because of the righteousness of the people behind the door, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the innocent lamb shed for us. And so... um, <clears throat> the Passover. And Jesus, when Jesus comes down that road, that, um, uh, that Palm Sunday road, Jesus, but he's over that Jesus was in Jerusalem. There were probably a quarter of a million lambs that were slain. A quarter of a million slain. That's an awful lot of blood running down the streets of the city of Jerusalem. Well, it takes an awful lot of blood to cover the sins of everybody here, let alone of everybody that was a resident of Israel in Jerusalem in the day. It takes an awful lot of blood. But with Jesus, it just takes his blood once and for all, never again. The Lamb of Lambs who is shed for us, he is our Passover. When when judgment, when God looks at us, he passes over us because he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus said, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Those many are those who are there, but it's for you and me as well. That blood was shed for you. That blood was shed for me. And Jesus will drink it again. It says, and then they sang a psalm. Now, there are certain psalms that they would sing at certain times of the year. And right here at the Passover, they would sing Psalm 116, Psalm 117, Psalm 118, Psalm 119. They sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Who was leading the hymn? I like to think that maybe Jesus was the one leading the hymn. That maybe Jesus was the worship leader. And they, they didn't, they didn't have a sound system that hums and doesn't work. They didn't have organs. They didn't have anything. They just had the voices of him and these other people he's with. And what are they doing? They're singing. They're singing the hymns. What is a hymn? A, a hymn is a celebration of God. In, in the songs that we sang, a couple of them are known as traditional hymns. What makes the difference between a hymn and a worship song? Who knows? Probably just the age and does it stay or not. On that theme, hymns, uh, a lot of people say we should sing hymns. Well, it seems to me they're all hymns. Uh, somebody says around Christmas time we should sing Christmas songs. Well, it seems to me they're, they're all Christmas songs, aren't they? They're all, they're all about Jesus. And so hymns are a celebration of God, a celebration of who he is. So let's get this because we're going to take this communion in a moment here. <clears throat> Let's pull these other little threads together. So we look at the big picture, look at the lessons there, see the things that we can learn, the things we should know about what's going on here. But two days ago, Jesus was at the home of Simon the leper, reclining, eating, fellowshipping with friends. Jesus knows he's going to die. Jesus knows he's going to die. The next day, Jesus is with his disciples, reclining at the table, eating, being with his friends, and then add to that singing, singing. 
So if this were the last night of the world, what would I do that was different? And I've been looking at these verses and thinking about this. What would, what would I do different if this were the last night of the world? What would I do? And I hope, just like Jesus, that I wouldn't do anything different. I wouldn't do anything different. That, that I would have already taken care of all of my business. That all the things that I need to do are done. That I can recline at the table, I can eat, I can be with people I know, and I can sing songs. You know, Jesus taught us that this is how we're supposed to live. And this is something we need to consider. Jesus, the, the, the scripture tells us that when we're ready to take this cup and this bread, that we should be examining ourselves and be examining our lives. So Jesus told us that we should pray like this. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is recorded for us in John 17 when he's praying to the Father. In, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, he's teaching his disciples to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray like this, say these things, you know, keep these topics in mind, you know, talk to our Father, you know, you're in heaven and, you know, your name is holy. What a beautiful name that is. There's no name like that name. We just, we just love you. Uh, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, you know, let your rule and your reign and your will, you know, come unto my life and come to my house and my work and my school and everything that I'm doing, you know, let it, let your will be done. And then he says, um, give us this day our daily bread. Now, bread was a big deal in the ancient world because you always had to be making bread all the time. It's a lifetime endeavor. You're just gonna, you'll always be making bread. And he said we should pray to God that he would give it to us daily. And maybe, maybe we'll be praying this prayer. You know, it could be in some weeks or some months that uh, we'll be praying this prayer. Who knows? You know what they're telling us. If you believe President Zelensky, which I don't know, I believe him, not believe him, I don't know. But, but he told us that if, that if those ports aren't clear in 10 weeks, that you're going to start to see a worldwide famine. I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to get people to get the ships out of the port. I don't know. But. You know, we're living in sort of a precarious place. You know, Lake Mead is low. The farmers in California, it's low. You know, it could happen. It could happen that in two or three months, we're praying diligently every day for our daily bread. Who knows? But we should certainly be thankful for it. Pray for it. So the idea of this prayer, known as the Lord's Prayer, is that it's daily. It's something you pray daily. You should be praying these things every day in some way, some shape, some form cover these bases. And then the next thing he says is, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against me. Well, that's the big one, and that's the one that should be done daily. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, he said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Anybody ever done that? Let the sun go down on your anger? You know, when you let the sun go down on your anger, you know what happens? You wake up in the morning and you're angry. But you're not as angry as you were the night before. But you're still angry. You're kind of Johnny Depp angry, you know, from what happened the night before. You know, you're angry. Throw things around angry. But you're probably not going to throw things around all day. And it's probably just going to become part of your personality, become part of who you are. Jesus said you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You've got to let people go. You've got to ask for forgiveness yourself and you've got to let people go. And if you don't do that, it becomes part of who you are. I've been around enough people dying and enough families dying to know 
that a lot of times people who are dying aren't ready to die. They have so much unfinished business that it's unbelievable. And sometimes I get invited into situations with people that, you know, I may know, may not know them, you know, might just kind of know who they are or know somebody who knows who they are. And, and they've invited me in. And I'm always so privileged to just be invited in and to be invited into somebody's family and to be invited into the family at this time. And, and to me, it's just such a, such a privilege to, to be part of that. But, but sometimes you can come in and as soon as you get, come into the room, you're like, whoa. Nobody has said anything to you, but you know that there is stuff that's going on. There is stuff that's unresolved. There is stuff that is turned, the volume is turned up. Well, um, Jesus told us, keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. Ask for forgiveness for yourself, those things you did today. And how do you pray? I, I pray it. I'll let you in on my prayer. I, I pray, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm still like a jerk. You know, I just can't, I can't believe how jerky I am. And thankfully, he doesn't say to me, well, go ask other people. They'll tell you what a jerk you are. You know, I know I am. I want to confess it. I don't want to be a jerk anymore. I'm sorry for what I've done. And, and I need to forgive others. But sometimes I need to ask for forgiveness from others. I need to take care of that business. I need to take care of those things. So that if, to, if this is the last night of the world, what would I do that was different? I don't want to be full of anxiety. I don't want to be freaking out. I don't want to be texting people saying, gee, you remember, remember that thing like 10 years ago? Man, that was really stupid. I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I don't want to do that. I want to do that now. I want to take care of business now so that I can be like Jesus. If this is the last night of the world, what would I do that is different? Nothing. I would be reclining with friends and family. I would be eating with them. I would be enjoying them. And we would be singing songs. Take care of business. Take care of business. I can't believe that Jesus, this is the way he is, two days before his death. Doesn't he have things to do? He's Jesus. He's come here with a mission. How can he just do this on the last two days? Business is taken care of. Everything's taken care of. Is everything taken care of in my life? I want to examine my life. I want to examine it right now. And ask, is everything taken care of? Have I said I'm sorry? Have I, have I showed humility? Have I demonstrated that I really am sorry? I really am repentant. I'm not, I'm not sorry because of how it's hurting me. I'm just sorry. I'm, I'm repentant. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. I'm sorry. I want to let go of those people. and I want to let go of it all. I want to be ready if it were the last night. So, Lord, here we are. I don't know, Tim, can we do a song at this point or not? Maybe. Um, Lord, here we are. We're standing before you. And I don't know, maybe it's... Um, maybe it is the last night of the world for some of us. Maybe this is it. You know, my wife and I this morning, just this morning, um, we, we became aware of three people that we're close to who, who just died during the last week. I became aware at 3 o'clock this morning of somebody that, uh, somebody that went to be with the Lord. You never know. Is this, is this the last night of my world? 
What would I do that's different? Lord, search our hearts and know us. See if there be any wicked way in us. I'm going to read you this psalm. And see if you can't let this psalm just go deep into your soul here. Before we take this communion. It's kind of good that we have a broken sound system today. So that we can just stay quiet. Let it sink in. Psalm 139, a psalm of David. David was quite the sinner. There are a lot of things wrong. Hurt, hurt a lot of people. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. Just listen to this. Let it, let it penetrate. Let it go deep. Receive the words. Listen. Just let it, let it move in. You've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and you discern my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. What knowledge? Self-knowledge. God knows you better than you know yourself. So God, we allow you right now to come and to, and to look. We allow you to come and penetrate. We allow you to come and to search every recess, every cavity, every dark place in our life. And make it known to us right now, Lord, the things that we need to let go before we take this communion. Let us know these things that we need to take care of, that, uh, that we need to make right. Before we continue on in the psalm, there's a place where Jesus said, if you're driving up to church some Sunday morning and you realize that your brother has something against you, Jesus said, this might be the Sunday that you should miss church and you should turn around and go find that brother and make it right before you come and worship. It's very important that we take care of business, that we let these things go. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you're there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, you're there. Even there, your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light will become night around me. Even darkness won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is like light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I'll praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All your days were ordained for me, including this day. Written in your book, before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, O God! How vast are the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting.
Okay, Lord, here we are. See if there's any offensive way in us. And so let's stand and pray. And take your communion in your hand with you. And if you haven't got that, you know, go to the table and go to the table and get some. Because we're going to pray for a number of things. Today is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts. So we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us. We're going to pray for some other things as well as, Lord, you come and search us, Lord. As you're searching, Lord, you are finding anxiety. You're definitely finding anxiety. And so just lift up a hand. I'm not saying you have to put your hands way in the air, but just like hold your hands down and cup your hands and just receive from the Lord. As we give him the anxiety, as we give him the stress, as we give him the drivenness, as we, as we give him those things that we're so unsure of that we, that we think we need to make happen, Lord, we give them to you right now. Lord, these days are in your hands. All days are in your hands. And Lord, it could be that we're on the cusp of some really trying times, but it won't change. What changes, Lord? Nothing. You will always be with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. So Lord, we give you the anxiety. We give you the troubles in our heart. We give you the pressure, Lord, take it, take it from us. And some of us, of course, you know, you have, uh, you have stuff swimming around your veins and organs that are doing what they're not supposed to be doing and pieces that aren't interacting with each other the way they're supposed to interact. You know, it says of the Lord that, you know, by his stripes we're healed. It says that in Isaiah and in Matthew, it shows us that, you know, that scripture was applied when Jesus healed people. You know, and then Peter tells us the same thing, you know, by his stripes we're healed. And so, Lord, by your stripes, by your blood, Lord, some of us need healing. We need physical healing right now. And, Lord, we hold up a hand that, uh, that receives it, that receives it. Lord, I have my hand up for come and search me and know me and root out all this stuff, you know, come and heal me. And Lord, for some of us, our minds are just racing. Our minds are just so far ahead of us. Calm us down, Lord, that we might be able to just recline and eat and be with friends and sing and not be afraid of the days to come, not be afraid of what's in front of us and not be afraid of the moment. And Lord, it is Pentecost. And Lord, on that day, you poured out your Holy Spirit and people began to speak in tongues and prophesy as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Lord, we pray that you'd come and that you'd give us gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, some of us give us the gift of tongues that we might be able to worship you and praise you in a language that we didn't know, Lord, that we can just take this vehicle and throw it into overdrive. Lord, give us prophecy, Lord, that we all might prophesy, that we might be able to speak your words to one another, that we might be able to speak words to other people that are really the words of God. And Lord, give us words of wisdom that we might know what to do. Give us words of knowledge that we might know things we couldn't know unless you showed us. Lord, give us gifts of healing that we might receive your healing and that we might also be healers to others, that we might be agents of your grace. Lord, give us the gift of mercy that we'd actually be moved by the pain around us. Lord, give us the gift of mercy, Lord, that rather than being critical of what people are doing, that, that we would sympathize with their weaknesses, that we would sympathize with their brokenness. Lord, move upon us. Revive us again. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit right now upon us. Pour out your Holy Spirit.
And Lord, we are grateful for the cup. We are grateful for the bread. And so if you take that, it says that uh, on the day... Um, oh, you're going to give me yours? I'll take yours. Thank you very much. I touched it. You did touch it? That's all right. <laughs> it's... The Apostle Paul said, you know, Jesus showed me what happened on that night. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he broke it, he said, take it. He said, this is, this bread is my body given for you. You know, they understood in the ancient world that this is sustenance. This is life. This is necessity. The necessity of Jesus in our life. Take it and eat it, all of you. Take it and eat it. an interesting sound, isn't it? But does that sound like water? Crickets? <laughs> and then he said this uh, this cup this is the new covenant the new deal the new way we're going to do things the new contract you get covered in the blood, he doesn't see it. Doesn't see your sin. It's all about Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. The guilt is gone. You can stand before God. And he said, He said, Take it and drink it, all of you. And then uh, the Apostle Paul said that as often as you do this, how often do we do it? We try to do it once a month, sometimes more, sometimes less. As often as you do it, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We all just became prophets. We're proclaiming the Lord's death. And we'll do it until he comes back. We'll do it until he comes back. So may the Lord give you rest for your soul. May he give you rest tonight. May you take those things that the Lord has shown you and take care of business. Do it. May the Lord give you the courage to do what it is you're supposed to do. Maybe you're supposed to go see dad. Maybe you're supposed to go see mom. Maybe you're supposed to talk to your son. Maybe you're supposed to talk to your daughter. Maybe you're supposed to talk to the people at work. Who knows? Who knows what you're supposed to do? But then, then pray that the Lord gives you wisdom because you don't want to go talking to people when you shouldn't be talking out of school either. You can just do just as much harm. You need the wisdom of God and may God give you that wisdom. May he give you the wisdom to do what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it. And then may he give you the courage to do it. So may the Lord bless us and keep us. May he make his face shine upon us and give us peace. You're going to close this in a song? Can you do that? Here you go. In stereo. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's giving Jesus Christ his son. Right? Alright. So it's the first one is give thanks. Go ahead. How are we doing with that? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks to Jesus. Because he's given Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ his, his son. 
Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Again, and now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done. For us, give thanks. Thank you, Lord, for loving us in spite of ourselves. We echo the prayer of our Pastor Joe, and we, uh, we just ask you to guide us and, and keep us and walk with us this week as we try to figure out how to walk with you. Our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. Amen.